Welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. My name is Jeremiah Johnson. This is a verse-by-verse edition of the Grace Point Daily Podcast where we go verse-by-verse through the Word of God. Before we dive into that, we want to say thank you as always. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. Like, share, subscribe, tell someone about the Grace Point Daily Podcast, and uh, we'd appreciate that very, very much. Well, Rick Maynard is in the house. How are you doing, Rick? I'm good. All right. Well, by the time we upload this, we will just be a couple days away from Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. I know we're not in uh, Song of Solomon yet, quite yet, but... Yeah, we should have done that. <laughs> Any hot hot takes on Valentine's Day? And no, I, I'm... Valentine's I'm kinda, Day advice, love advice. It's hard for me, you know, because you do one thing one year, and then the next year it's like, well, how do you top that, or... Or how do you say something that you haven't said before, you know? So it's a little tough sometimes to... And you're still in that uh, kind of period of Twitter patient, if you will. Uh, you just married two years, so two you're years. still in that in love phase, you yeah, know? Yeah, just crazy in love. <laughs> <laughs> crazy and in love, I guess. But Amen. Well, shout out to you, Stella, if you're listening. Yes, she will be. Rick loves you. I do. <laughs> And I love you and in a pastorally kind of way, you know, right, right. so anyway, all right, we are in first Kings chapter nine, Rick, and we finally finished up chapter eight. We spent a lot of time talking about a lot of different things, but here we are first Kings chapter nine, right? Yeah. And chapter eight was, we took a couple of big detours in there that things weren't necessarily verse by verse. So it took a little longer and it was just a little bit longer chapter than some. So a lot of information there, but we're, we're moving on today. I don't think we'll spend as much time in chapter nine. So so, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So it took seven years for the temple, 13 years for the palace. So, you know, people forget sometimes when they're reading these verses that, you know, sometimes 20 years passes between yeah. a couple of verses or from one chapter to the next and... So that's what's happened here. We've been talking about all the building and the dedication and all of those kind of things, and now it's 20 years later, you know, that that these things have all been accomplished. So um, there's the the issue. They built the temple. They built the palace. And then it says the Lord appeared. And you can read, if you're reading in Chronicles, if you want to really get into the study, which would take us twice as long, but if you really want to get into the study, you can read the verses in Chronicles that – um, have additional things or there may be additional things in Kings that aren't in Chronicles about all of these stories. So uh, this would be with Second Chronicles 7. So if you want to uh, go over there, we won't do that today. But but the, the one thing, it says that God appeared. And when did God appear? It says when he had finished what God called him to do. And it doesn't mean not for like for us. It's not like end of life, you know. I mean, God will appear at the end of life, but it says God appeared uh, when He had finished what God had called Him to do. Now, it doesn't mean that God's not with us and all of those things, but there was something special. And it says He appeared a second time. So we think sometimes that these guys just got up every day and had a face-to-face conversation yeah. with God, <laughs> you know, because God said this and they did this, and it's like it was just. Wake up, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And and we know that even these guys, <laughs> the great men of the Bible, that wasn't the way. Uh, you know, there's a little debate about how Moses spoke with God because it says he spoke face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how that worked either. Yeah. But, 
but it just says here it appeared to him the second time. So uh, he appeared to him when he did what he was told to do. And, and I think we can expect the same thing that we have. Uh, you spoke about it last night, God's presence, his presence that goes with us, his presence that's with us. It's when we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, not when we live perfectly, yeah. but we can live in his presence. He can appear to us and speak to us. But I think the majority of these things talk about obedience. That's mm-hmm. when that's when God speaks. That's when God leads is when we're following him in obedience. And so, and, uh, and these, some of these, and again, we're not going to talk about that much, but some of these verses, uh, this is another one of those areas where, uh, the Bible is not chronological. So some of these verses, they argue that should have been part of chapter 8, that they became part of chapter 9, and some of them should have been clear over in chapter 10, uh, that it gets a little mixed up. And so the Bible does that sometimes. <laughs> we get to reading, and it's like, wait a minute, I thought that already happened, or yeah, uh, those kind of things. But it's not chronological. We have to keep reminding ourselves, unless you're reading the chronological Bible. You can find that, too. Yep. But. Uh, verse 3, the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And I always, a lot of these things it'll say um, that it's always going to be there. My name's always going to be there. Well, it means until the time of Messiah. You know, this temple is necessary this sacrifices are necessary, all those things until Messiah comes. So we know that all these temples, if if it really meant forever, they'd still be standing today and they'd mm-hmm. still be using them, yeah. but they're not. And so most of this, when it says forever, that it will always be there, it has to do, most of it has to do with till Messiah comes, till it's not necessary anymore, it'll stand. And, and it says, I have heard the prayer and the plea that you have made, and I think that is a statement that God always makes because I don't know about you, but there are many times I've said, where was where was God? You know, where is God <laughs> in this? I mean, you know, when we try to use our human reasoning, there are so many things that don't make sense. Yep. There are so many things that seem like God is just not there or he doesn't care that he it, – it feels like that he's just left us to ourselves. Yeah, and you know we know that's not true. We can say it in in uh, our head, but sometimes we don't feel it in our heart. Yep. You know where is God? And but this says God is always present, and He hears. He's always there. And I I've said this before, and maybe on the podcast, but I think there's sometimes when when maybe you know Jesus is sitting by the bedside, and we're begging for someone to be healed or you know, to not die, whatever the case may be, I think he's almost sitting there weeping because he can't. And I know that's a bad statement to say that God can't do something or that Jesus can't do something. But sometimes things have been set the the way they're going to play out. And in other words, this thing has to happen for the next thing to hmm. to play out. And sometimes he weeps with us because it's like, you know, I really wish I could change this for you, but I just I just can't. And so instead of saying God's not there or where is he when these things are going on, we ought to be saying, I know he's still there. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't get it. I know he hears me and I know he's still there. And that's hard sometimes. But um 
and then it says i've put my name on the temple uh forever and one of those things you know now we are and again you it's funny how you talked about some of this last night but we are the temple and you know he dwells there and it talks about putting his name on things and i i've talked about it before but this thing about taking the lord's name in vain and people have used that as um why we don't cuss Mm -hmm. because it's taking the lord's name well there's a lot of cuss words (laughs) that don't use god's name i mean so i don't believe that's totally i mean we shouldn't let any unwholesome words come out of our mouth Mm -hmm. that's scriptural yeah but not every uh curse word is taking the lord's name in vain but I think I heard it explained one time, and I think it was the best explanation, was that we take his name as, you know, I am a Christian, I'm Christ-like, so I have his name on my heart, if you would. But taking that in vain is when you uh, don't live up to that. You're not representing mm-hmm. that well. And it, it's marriage is the best example. Your wife took your name. Mm-hmm. Well, if if she... Uh, doesn't live up to a, a standard, then she's taken your name in vain. She's she's put a bad mark on your name, in other words. And I think as Christians, that's what we have to watch out, that we're not putting a bad mark on yeah. the name of God yep. by the things that we do and the way that we act. But he goes on and says, verse 4, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, and this it'll go on and, and talk about, but this is one of those if-then statements that uh, that they make. But this uh, walking before me in integrity of heart, and I, I just had sometimes you just have to look up. I know what integrity is, but I just look up the word to, to see what they talk about. And one thing I always heard, and I don't know that it's the absolute, but it's, what you are when no one's looking, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's if you have integrity in your heart, uh, you know, but it talks about honesty, uh, strong morals that you refuse to change. You know, I believe this and you know, my mom, <laughs> my mom and dad used to say many times, there's just nothing wrong anymore. And, and talking about how people change their, you know, how they can be so adamant that something was wrong, but then later in life, now it's not so wrong anymore. I remember uh, there was a lady in the church. I won't mention names here, but <laughs> there was a lady in the church years ago, and they would not go to a ball game. They wouldn't go to a high school football game. I mean, that was sinful. You know, I'm not sure what the reasoning, mm-hmm. you know, was. Maybe because <laughs> they had cheerleaders that were half dressed, or I I don't know what the, but. They didn't go to ball games for years. It was a sin. Wow! But then later in life, she started going to ball she, games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, I mean, she hopefully came around to the right way. But um, but people have morals, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go right. there. And then things change. Mm-hmm. But integrity says I don't change my my morals because of uh, society because of political things because of influence from friends i, I heard a we had a a uh, and again i won't mention names <laughs> but we had a uh, evangelist that came here one time and 
he was talking about how he would, you know, buy a beer and take it over and sit down and drink a beer with somebody so that mm-hmm. he could witness to him. And, you know, I'm not going to say that guy's going to hell because he drank a beer, <laughs> but I'm not sure that's an integrity issue yeah. when you say you have to become like them. I know, you know, Paul said I've become all yeah. things to all men so that I might win some. But I don't think that's what that was talking about. I don't think it's talking about changing your moral values in order to yeah to try to <laughs> be like them so we can get them saved. I'll stay away from that, you know, and yeah. just let you roll with it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but anyway, um, uh, the morals and refusing to change, uh, adhering to those things, uh, it's even described as a personality trait. In other words, you are a person of integrity, not because you have to get up and think about, well, now is this right, or can I do this, or how will God feel about this? And, you know, if it becomes a personality trait, it's just who you are, in other words. Mm-hmm. And I, I would hope that as Christians, we that's something that gets developed yeah. in our life, that we are people of integrity and uh, guarding his name, if you would. But, yep. Uh, you know, an integrity it can contain or pertain to a building, the integrity of a building, you know, those kind of things too. But, but this is another one of those if-then statements. So what we just read, it says, if you do these things, then it says in verse 5, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Now, if if you've read ahead, you know, we all have access to this story, so you don't have to wait for me to to read it, you know, in the upcoming chapters. But we know that didn't happen. We know that it got outside the family. Uh, things didn't happen because it says, if you do this, then I will establish. But And again, it's another one of those forever statements. I will establish it forever. You'll never fail to have a man on the throne. And and so all these things, if you'll if you live in integrity and uprightness, if you'll uh, follow the decrees and the commands and the laws, and you know, there's a kind of a fine line. Somebody describes some of like decrees being more like a uh, city ordinance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily the law of the land. In other words, not all the laws that say you go to hell if you do this and those kind of things, but some of the decrees and things can be things that we've just established. Well, it would be the assembly of God. We have some decrees. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying they're not biblical, but we have some things that we require maybe at this church that some other church doesn't require. Yeah, And you can say, well, I'm not going to go to hell if I do that. Well, it's not about that. (laughs) It's just this is what we do. This is how we do things Mm -hmm. in this this church. Um, We had... Uh, you know, a good example of that is when you um, when you're bringing a new pastor. I heard people, well, we should bring three pastors, and they should preach, and we should meet them, and then we should have, you know, kind of like the political scene. Yeah. We should have choices. <laughs> Deba- yeah, we yeah. could have had a debate. Could have um, had a debate. Beauty I mean, contest. Yeah, yeah, we could have had all that. <laughs> you know, you got to bring your wife and your kids yeah. and see how well behaved the kids are, and all those kind of things. So. Uh, but in the assemblies of God, that's not the way we do it. You know, the board researches and and they find who they think would be, you know, a good pastor, and you bring them before the church, and then the church votes on that. Mm-hmm. And if he's not the guy, church votes against that, and you look for another guy. 
But I've been here a long time, and it's always been the guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, the church has been very trusting of the board uh, for the most part. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be some division maybe, but for the most part, it's always been the first guy. I've never, as long as I've been in this church, I've never seen more than one guy come and preach to be, you know, to yeah. be the pastor, yep. in other words. Uh, we had one guy that came one time, and and we met, the board met, we had dinner, you know, that kind of thing, question and answer session. And when he left, he said, and it wasn't about, you know, he said it's it has nothing to do with that you people didn't weren't very nice to me or anything like that. But he said, when I left here, he said, my wife and I looked at each other like, what are we doing? Why why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, we need to stay right where we are. Hmm. And they, they basically said, you know, we were we were foolish. We acted foolishly to do this. We shouldn't have been there. And we're going back. And as far as I know, they're still pastoring the church. And that was uh, before Brother Graham. Okay, wow. So clear back that many years ago, and now they're wow. still pastoring that same church. So, <laughs> you know, they just stepped out for a minute. And, you know, the decrees of the of the church sometimes are not – where does it say in the Bible that's way? Well, it doesn't say in the Bible. It's just what we've decided that mm-hmm. this yep. church policy, I guess, would be more the the uh, term for it. But uh, nine, six, and seven, and this is you know if then, and now it's but if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. God is, you know, I know we have a God of love and, you know, kindness and <laughs> compassion, and but he's pretty, yeah. he's pretty strict. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's righteous. Yeah, he says, you know, if you'll do these things, this will happen. But if you don't, you know, I'm going to take away all of that that I promised you. That I, but all the promises are conditional. You know, I promise you this mm-hmm. if you'll do these things. But if you don't, uh, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And the the turning away doesn't always mean. You know, I've turned away in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a teenager, I'd go out and do things I shouldn't do, and then I'd come home and I'd be laying there at night before. Oh Lord, forgive me, you know, for what I did today. I'm sorry for what I did, and then maybe go do the same thing the next day. <laughs> yeah, but I always had, uh, you know, I'm not. Sh- if you would have asked me then, I probably would have thought every night that God marked my name out because I'd been bad that day, and so I was going to go to hell because I turned away. But I really believe the turning away, you know, grace and mercy covers a lot. But I think the turning away has to do with that point where you just get where I don't want any part of God. We basically say, God, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I think God will leave us alone. If if that's our request, I think he will leave us alone. But uh, it's, it's talking about not observing the commands and the decrees. Uh, and the one thing it says is to go off and serve other gods and worship them. So I think that's part of the turning away is – we replace God with something else. And it's a it's a sad result. You know, we can say, well, that doesn't really mean anything to us when we read this. But you think about, I'm going to cut off Israel from the land. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to reject this temple. I mean, all the building and the gold and the dedication and all that we've talked about, the sacrifices and how many lambs and bulls and goats. And, you know, I mean, it was a major, major thing to build that temple. It goes all the way back to David and then through Solomon and then 20 years later. And all of that could come to an end in a, in a moment. If you <laughs> fail to yeah. do this, then I'm going to reject this temple. I think that's the biggest thing I'm, I'm afraid of now that I get older. Or for, for example, being when I first got saved, uh, I was kind of a first-generation Christian, mm-hmm. if you will. And so then as I begin to get in the, <laughs> the realm of Christianity, uh, going to Bible college, seeing like kids that were right. you know, pastor's kids, that weren't kind of real serious about their faith and just being like, whoa, this is weird. Like, mm-hmm. how could you not want to follow Jesus and and then becoming a pastor and seeing people in and out of their faith? And now one thing that I, I see a lot that's very scary as a pastor is seeing people that are now older as far as being adults or having right. kids and grandkids and then seeing their kids not serve the Lord, seeing their grandkids not serve the Lord and how hard that is. And, and now as my kids get older, being this state of life where in a couple of years, you know, my daughters will graduate high school and now that kind of controlled environment or somewhat controlled right. environment that they've lived in, you know, they're not, I'm not going to have control pretty soon of their right. faith. Not that I'm controlling it now, yeah. but that they're really going to have to live for the Lord. And and that's such a, a fear. I get scared of that to, to think that my kids won't there's a possibility they could walk away from the Lord or not serve the Lord or really live out their faith. And then to think that they'll have kids someday and be like, Whoa, then will their kids Mm -hmm. be Christians Well, they, you know, now it it becomes so much more real to me. And uh, as I see other, you know, again, other older Christians that are older in age and to see how hard and what a struggle that is. um, Mm -hmm. If, if your kids wouldn't serve the Lord, I mean, right now my, kids, my daughters, they love Jesus, involved in the church. I don't uh, see them walking away from the Lord, but that potential and that reality could be there. Uh, But man, I could never imagine my kids not serving the Lord, you know, and, but we've seen this here in the old Testament. Now we see some of these great Kings that they love the Lord and their kids or their grandkids didn't end up following God and the effect that that has. And so it's just like, wow, Lord, help me to live the best I can with the best character, Right. following you because God, I really want my kids. I want my grandkids. I want my generations to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that pr- the probability of that is, is very difficult in one sense, you right. know, to say like, okay, to think if G- if the Lord doesn't tarry or come back, mm-hmm. will my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, my great, great grandkids, will they all serve the Lord? Man, that's scary to think about. Right. Well, and I think, you know, had David still been alive to see Solomon, you know, we know, it's not here yet. We're not at that point yet, but we know Solomon fails too miserably. Mm-hmm. And and for David, I would think I would feel this way as a father if David were alive to see that when he began to fall. That you would say, "Well, I can't blame him. Look what I did." Yeah, you know, and that that's a scary thing too. I mm-hmm. I prayed. You know, I had to work a lot, but I probably worked more than I had to. You know. And so when my kids were growing up, I wasn't at every ball game and, you know, their mom was there, but I was teaching classes. I was working at the hospital. I was building houses. I mean, I was busy all the time and I've regretted that, that I wasn't there more when my kids played soccer and wrestled and, and the different things they were involved in. I wasn't there as much as, as I should have been. But then my prayer is like, man, don't let them be 
like I was in that, you know. And they both work a lot, but they've really worked their schedules and things to be at their kids' ball games mm-hmm. and and events. So I'm like, I'm just thankful that that they didn't see or they saw what I did, but thankful they didn't follow. Yeah. And I would think for David, he would probably, if he were alive to see this, would start thinking, man, Solomon, what are you doing? Don't go down that road. Mm-hmm. I know what that'll that'll do to your life, but. Um, but he says, I'll, I'll cut Israel off from the land. I'll reject this temple. Uh, Israel we, will become a byword or will become an object of ridicule. And I thought, you know, how sad that, you know, that this great godly place called Israel and this great godly temple, and he's not saying it's right, but he's just saying, if this is the way things go, this is what's going to happen. And, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, well, let me, uh, a byword is an object of reproach, derision, scorn, and it's a strong reputation for a quality. So the, in other words, the temple would, would get a, um, a reputation of being a failure. Well, they thought they were so religious, and look what happened. You know, look at the temple sitting empty now. You know, those... Those kind of things, and let me uh, let me just go on because it continues with that. It says, verse eight, and though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, "Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple?" So, you know, it's imposing in the sense of not uh, we think that more of a negative, but it's imposing as, man, this is a magnificent place. You know, people that go, it'd be like people going to the Grand Canyon and talking about how amazing that is. In other words, it's just overwhelmingly beautiful place. And so uh, it's imposing. But then it says, all who pass by will be appalled and scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this people? Um, It's not saying that it's right that they do that, but it's just people are, are, People are people. <laughs> I use that mm-hmm. statement a lot. But that's what they're going to do. And we can relate this. You know, it is so much. We talk about these things like, well, we don't – that was a whole different culture and different – but we have churches sitting on corners that people are walking by or driving by. And and I hate to say it, but there are people who are glad when a church fails mm-hmm. because it makes them look right, you know, when – uh, when they left the church or, you know, I quit that church years ago. I knew it was headed down a bad road and <laughs> now look at it, you know, and I, and I hear that. Um, and again, I don't want to mention churches, but there's a church that, um, it was probably running, I don't know, maybe 150 at, at the best. And I think now they're probably 30. And you drive by, and, you know, I'm not scoffing like what they're talking about here, but you drive by there, and it's like, man, what happened? You know, what happened that there are 30 people left there, probably a couple of families or whatever in that church. And, you know, but there are people who, who are not Christian and people who are Christians who drive by that church probably, and they're almost glad that it's not successful because it makes them look more mm-hmm. right. And yeah. And one of the one of the things that I saw when someone left this church, 
and it was uh, it was in a letter, and it said, um, "I'm concerned for the future of this church." And I thought, "How dare you?" Yeah, I mean, really, that you can you can say those things like out of like you're really concerned, but you know, this church is going to survive without me. Yeah, and this church yep. is going to survive without you. Mm-hmm. Amen. And it, you know, it's it, we're we've talked about it. We're coming up on forty years in this building. We're coming up on a hundred years since the establishment of this church. How many people who have come and gone in here <laughs> who thought they were so important? Right. And I'm yep. not saying you know I don't mean to be. I don't no, mean to but be it's mean. A, yeah, mean. it's in the mindset of people. How could this church just exist without me? I don't right. Know. But, uh, you know, I know and you know there's been good pastors before you, and there will be, if the Lord doesn't come back, there's going to be good pastors after you. Mm-hmm. And so, but but people look at, you know, well, I'm concerned about the future. Why are you concerned about the future? <laughs> this place has survived without you before yeah. you came, and it'll be here when you're gone. You know, yeah. and God has blessed this church, the doors are not shut in here, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, but it it talks about people going by and scoffing uh, that that's what they're going to say, and and I, it's so important for us to maintain the reputation yeah. of the church. Yes, and I I know when uh, years ago uh, when the church went through some struggles and pastor changes and things, we had people. I would hear somebody say. Man, I heard your church is really, and I'm like, where did you hear right, that? Yeah. <laughs> well, they heard it from someone in the church, mm. and it's like, why would you? It's like the the unsaved people already have enough skepticism, yeah. walls built up, yeah. obstacles yeah. about the church. Do you realize that kind of damage when a so called yes. Christian yeah. from that church or that organization or denomination or whatever you want to how much damage that they do by going out and just adding fuel to the fire for those that are unsaved to say, man, I told you the church was yeah. <laughs> corrupt. I told you the church was selfish and just taking care of themselves and, you know, scoffing at the church and it's, mm-hmm. it's fuel for the fire. And then it's like, well, where did you, where did you hear that? Well, it had to be yeah, from within. Mm-hmm. And yep. so the church destroys itself from, from within the church and then it says, uh, read one more verse and we'll, it says, uh, people will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, their God, who brought their families out of Egypt, or back up, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. And we say, we want to blame things on God. Well, God brought this disaster. God yeah. did this to them. Hmm. Well, no, they did it, and God allowed this thing to fall apart because of what the people. And this is serious. This is not. Um, well, they brought a pastor that uh, somebody didn't like very well, or you know, it's not about. It talks about turning away, about worshiping other gods, about bringing other gods into that temple, or or whatever, about turning away altogether. And then it says that's why the Lord brought this. In other words, even. Even unsaved people will look at it and say, "Well, I can see why that thing fell apart." <laughs> you know, they even unsaved people kind of know what the church is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. sometimes their expectations are too high, but even unsaved people know 
basically that you don't whatever drink smoke and you know sleep around and they kind of know the general morals but um it's talking about those people outside in other words the gentile people will walk by and say well you know they were supposed to i've read the rules about how the jewish people were supposed to act and they're not they're not doing that and they were in bondage in egypt and now they're basically going back to the bondage mm-hmm. they've yeah. they've returned to egypt and there's places where it said and again we're jumping ahead but when you talk about solomon it says the horses when he started getting all these horses the scripture in deuteronomy said don't don't ever go back to egypt don't don't acquire a bunch of horses and don't send people back to egypt to get them mm. and they were that's exactly what Solomon did. He sent groups of people back to Egypt to get horses. And so it's like they just couldn't, you know, God was trying to break them out of bondage and they just yeah. kept going back. We've talked about some of the new people in the church here that aren't coming to church now. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just can't, they don't get out of the bondage or they get out, mm-hmm. but then they return to, to the bondage. And uh, I, I've used the example. I got a, my, one of my sons, Shane is, in law enforcement, and he deals with um, the uh, guys that are under house arrest that have the ankle bracelets. Mm-hmm. Well, his job is to go in, kind of look at the house, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, they can monitor those ankle bracelets, make sure they just went to work and back home, and you know all of that kind of stuff. Well, he had a guy one time that that said uh, he just called him up and said, "Come and get me and take me back to jail." And his reasoning was that. He was going to be on house arrest for like 60 days or whatever. But if, it was, if he was in jail, he would only be there 30 days. So he said, I'd rather be 30 days in jail so that I get out sooner. And so they went to the house, took the ankle <laughs> bracelet off, and took oh, him back man. to jail. Some and, people need to be on church arrest, you know. They need to. <laughs> yeah, church arrest. Here we go. You can't leave the church until. Yeah. yeah. But let a good me, idea. Million dollar idea right there. Yep, there you go. We'll work on that today. But. One statement, I'll be done. Uh, one of the common uh, commentaries that I read, the statement says, their idolatry was the cause of it, that which is nothing more provoking to God than idolatry. Mm. And and several places where I've read about some of these guys who, with David, with Solomon, some of these guys who have fallen away, mm-hmm. when you talk about David, um, that he was a man after God's own heart. And people say, well, how can you say that after everything that he did? How could you still say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they say one of the defining things was that he was not an idol worshiper. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and Solomon, and again, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but Solomon, when he began to take wives and all of those things that, that he did, and his wives were into idol worship, they say that Solomon never actually worshiped idols but that he allowed his wives to i mean he accommodated their idol worship which is still not a good thing yeah but that solomon could still in essence be called a man of god too because he never got into idol worship and that was one of the the defining things as much as you do at least you didn't turn from your god and begin to worship another god and so that was one considered one of the worst sins if you can categorize sin with idol worship so 
Okay, we better wind it up there. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. Great thought to think about today that you are a f- reflection of Jesus. You know, when people are looking at your life, their, your behavior, your words, who you are, uh, that that is, you know, I, I, I didn't coin this phrase, but one preacher said that we are Jesus with skin on, that uh, they're going to, who we are is what they're, they're going to make up their minds, what the church is, the church looks like, what Jesus is like, all those kind of things. So uh, help us, God, to reflect your name, to reflect who our father is, and that we would just, uh, people would be drawn, that distinguishing mark of your presence would draw people and not turn people away. So yes. thanks for joining us for this verse by verse edition. We'll talk to you guys next time.